Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in Psychedelic Salon 2.0. And while the stories we are about to listen to will be coming to us from Victoria, Canada, where they were recorded a month or so back, well, after being edited and put into a podcast by people living far from one another, the final version was just now sent to me by Lex Pelger, who, at this moment, is in the deserts of Utah, driving on Route 50, the loneliest road in America, or so I've heard. And uh, all of this is taking place on uh, what here in the United States is a long national 4th of July holiday where people who don't really have a clue about history celebrate in all kinds of ways. When I was a boy, we would spend months gathering all of the empty bottles we could find in the neighborhood. Then we would turn them in for their deposit money and buy massive amounts of fireworks with it. <laughs> Almost everybody I knew, including myself, had uh, at least once picked up a recently burned out sparkler and uh, got some serious burns on the hand. But uh, one of my friends, in fact, lost part of a finger to a firecracker. However, uh, I don't remember any houses having burned down. Restrictions on uh, fireworks now apply in most places, but uh, that never seemed to slow people down in Texas, as I recall. Anyway, I've now run the gamut of various ways to celebrate the 4th of July. I've marched in parades, and I've picketed parades. I've built floats and raced sailboats on the 4th of July. But... Tomorrow, on my 75th 4th of July, I'm simply going to uh, have a few tokes off my vaporizer, open a bottle of Guinness, and uh, put my headphones on, and then listen to this podcast that Lex On The Road Pelger is about to introduce. Today's show is made possible through your crowdfunded support on Patreon. Unlike other crowdfunding sites, Patreon lets you chip in a few bucks a month to help us keep the lights on. Find out more at patreon.com slash symposia. I'm Lex Pelger, and this is Symposia on the Psychedelic Salon 2.0. The stories this week come from Victoria on Vancouver Island in Canada. From our storytelling night at the university, quite an interesting mix of stories emerged. I believe the first one is especially powerful to be coming out on this 4th of July weekend because it comes from a female veteran of the Iraq wars. These stories demonstrate why we fight for these medicines, what to watch out for, and as Mary Porter said last week, how to be wise in the questions we ask. I hope you enjoy. Hi, my name is Robin. Uh, I'm actually from Portland, Oregon, originally from Wisconsin, so I'm from the U.S. And uh, I'm sorry about Trump, guys. I, I, I didn't vote that way. Um, I feel like I need to say that when I'm out of the country, <laughs> just apologize profusely. Um, so my experience with this was that uh, I was actually in the military. I was in the Army. And I got deployed to Iraq in 2003, right after the initial invasion, and I was a truck driver. And so um, my unit, we ran the logistic release point on Biop International Airport, or I'll just say Biop. Um, and we went on missions every day, driving around to forward operating bases. And so it's like one of the worst jobs that you can have being a truck driver um, in the military. That's pretty much who they like to kill. And uh, so I eventually, I, I got out and I was actually going to continue my career in the military. I wanted to stay in 20 years and become an officer um, because I really liked the camaraderie and the family that the military gave me, which is something I never had before in my life. And uh, so, but unfortunately I came home from Iraq and I ended up having an incident 
during training and they found out I had PTSD and I got diagnosed with it and I got kicked out and they eventually medically retired me and I struggled for a really long time. Uh, I had a couple of suicidal attempts and I just never really saw, there's something about seeing the depravity of humanity and knowing that yourself can go there too. And there's so much shame and just disgust. And, you know, why should I continue living? Why should I be sucking up air, you know, taking up any kind of space when clearly I'm just a horrible person who participated in this war that really was not about what it was supposed to be about. I mean, we knew that as soon as we got to Iraq, that this was, we weren't there to help anybody. And, um, and so I struggled a lot. I was hospitalized quite a few times. I tried multiple different treatments with the VA, which is the Veterans Affairs, and nothing worked. And I actually found myself, um, I, had, I had found a way to kind of like try to be more engaged. And it was um, talking about clean energy and national security and how it was very important for us to move towards a clean energy future for the national security of the United States. And um, I was just leaving. I, was, I, was, I had done some public speaking on that and I was going home to Wisconsin and I was on a plane and I was reading an Oprah magazine. And there was a story in there about how MDMA could cure PTSD. And I was like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and I was like, I need to know about this because I knew I was going to go home and that it was just going to be a matter of time before I killed myself. And so um, I actually Googled, I went home and I Googled it and I found the doctors in South Carolina, the Mythovers, that were part of this FDA study. And I wrote to them and I was like, I'm a female Iraq war veteran. I'm you know really interested. I, I need help, please. And I managed to get into the study. And so I went three times and it was a double blind study. Three times I did the low dose, which didn't affect me. And then after that, they said, okay, now you get to do the full dose. Um, so I got to do the full dose three times. And it, the way it works is your, it, I mean, you, some of the, the, I saw the movie, it was kind of like that. You basically, you like lay down, they give you the medication and you're there with a doctor and a nurse the entire time. And then once the medication wears off, then somebody still stays with you overnight. So um, it's very like constructive how they do it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, uh, so I did the, yeah, the three doses and uh, it really, it really changed a lot for me. I mean, it didn't make everything better, but I used to almost shake from the anxiety. Like it was so, it was so bad you could see it on me. And uh, there was this one point where I remember there was a skylight above the the day bed that I was laying on, there was a skylight and you could see the blue sky and the clouds. And I just remember for a second feeling total peace. And I had never felt that before because I've been fighting since I was born. My parents were horrible human beings and beat me and allowed others to beat me. And so you know, it wasn't just the trauma from the military. It's just, I guess the military was the cake <laughs> or the last straw. Um, but sitting there, I, I felt peace. I felt real peace. And I had never felt that before. And Annie and Michael, the Mythovers that were with me, you know, they were just like soaking in, soaking every second. And I don't remember it really lasting very long, but I guess that's just the thing that I keep, it, it feels like I've always been in this like dark tunnel with no light at the end of it. And that was kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel, knowing that there, there is peace somewhere. And unfortunately, because it's an FDA study, there, you only can do three doses and that's it. And so despite the fact that they wish they could give me more, there's nothing they can do and it's still illegal. And so I just have to, you know, bide my time and wait until 2021 um, or when it becomes legal again to try to get some more treatments. Um, 
because, you know, things have definitely gotten better. I can volunteer now. I leave my house more than once every two weeks. <laughs> um, so it's gotten better. But, you know, I also see a lot of my friends. I'm losing a lot of friends who served in Iraq and Afghanistan. And they're killing themselves. And, uh, and I still deal with suicidal ideation a lot. And uh, so I really just, I want it to be legal. And I want people to know about it because it's, you know, we're sending all of these people to wars that <laughs> and damaging them in ways that you can't even understand and then to not have any kind of therapy or anything that can work and the MDMA really helped me and so I just when I get really down I just try to remember that little bit of time looking up at that blue sky and the clouds and knowing that there is peace somewhere and that hopefully someday I will get to the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, so <laughs> I feel like that's it. to share an experience that intensely changed my life um, yeah and like gave me the strength for like who I am today regardless if it was like really challenging to my core like brought me to where I am today so it's like I'm, I am really grateful for it regardless of what you're about to hear <laughs> so I'm going to go back to when I was 18 years old I was just starting to consciously like um, wake up into my self and into my spiritualness. So basically I was like so curious and like anything that had the label of spiritual on it, I was there and like following and listening and absorbing everything with like such an openness. Um, and through that, I was experimenting with a lot of different psychedelics and knew it was time to explore ayahuasca. So I sent that out there. And I, so one night, um, I was at a full moon gathering. And after we finished meditating, there was like about 30 of us meditating this pyramid in Kelowna. I look up and this woman's looking at me from the other side of the room. And she like walks towards me and we introduce ourselves. Her name is Anna. And I bring up ayahuasca and she lets me know that she's a shaman. She studied um, ayahuasca for 10 years in Peru. And I was like, amazing. Wow. Like my heart just was like, yes. Um, and so I quickly began the diet. And then 10 days later, we're sitting for a three day or three night um, ayahuasca journey. I sit with the medicine the first night um, with her in front of me and, and at this point like yeah our relationship it's really fluid like we had tea earlier and like we're yeah like we, we met up a few times even before the ceremony and like she's, she's a friend um, and yeah yeah she's a friend and so I'm sitting with the plan she's like okay time for intentions and so I have ayahuasca in my hands in a mug and I say ayahuasca my intention is to evolve as quickly as possible in this human form on earth and like I remember Anna's face just looking at me like okay are you sure you're ready <laughs> and like my heart's like pounding I'm like yeah like like, I'm ready. Not even knowing what that even means, right? Like, just, like, knowing that I want to change and knowing that I want to become, like, the most conscious version of myself. And so I have that journey, and it's beautiful. It's a lot of, like, conquering fear. Um, on the, our third night, she opens up to me of where her name came from. So this is Anna. And she tells me about, like, her dieting with different plant spirits in in Peru and like at this point she's like like she's transforming to like my mentor right like just like she's very wise um 
and she lets me know that she encountered two entities on her journey. Their names is Anna and Michael. And these two entities um, are claiming to be God. So Anna is everything physical and Michael is, is the thought behind everything. And their intention is to embody human form so they can like have a human experience here on earth and to bring God consciousness to earth. And so like me, like 18 year old, I'm like, oh my God, great God. Like I've always wanted to be friends with God. <laughs> and so I'm just eating that up. And, and so she's telling me more and I have like questions. And every question I have, there's like an answer to that Anna and Michael that she's channeling are, are providing. And so that's just like feeding this like truth detector, um, more like a mental one. I'm just like, okay, like this, this answer is being solved. Like, where's the origin of life? And it's like, it's all right there. Um, the answers are, are there in front of me. And, and she wrote a book about Anna and Michael and their intentions, um, their intentions that end like uh, to be in this world and, and communicating on how people can develop their own relationship with God is what the book's about. And so she gets me to peer edit it because we're like good friends now. And so I'm reading all of this, like getting enthralled and absorbed into, into that. And I'm like, okay, like I want to create a relationship with God. Um, and so I affirm that. And at this point I decided to intensively, um, go on the ayahuasca diet for like three months. And I did another three day, um, session, which was like very profound. It worked beautifully on my body um and then I'm meeting her in Castlegar at her place there to sit for like many ceremonies and to intensively dive into like the Anna and Michael path I guess it's called um and yeah the more and more we're there like she's she now gave her book around to other people so other people are coming curious as well and like wanting to journey with the plant with like this underlying kind of programming of like how Anna's physical and Michael's the thought behind everything. So this is like all these belief structures are interwoven into um, also these ayahuasca experiences and then like the meditations afterwards and our talks afterwards. Until, and, and so basically like the objective is to create like an alternative way of life. So kind of like a cult. <laughs> um, and with like with it, these teachings to back it up. And so there's like a search for, okay, we need like maybe more people or to create a garden to create like to be sustainable and all this stuff. And like in my body at this point, I was like still journeying at night sometimes. And in my body though, it was like so tired, like just like so drained, but there was like this mental like appeal for like, ooh, like a piece of candy, like another piece of truth or another answer to my question. Like that's what I was like really going off of. And that's what I was like, thought I was resonating with, you know, rather than like listening to my internals and like what my body was telling me at the time. And until one, um, one, yeah, one day her friend came from Peru to come visit her. So Anna, change her name to Anna because she's now embodied by Anna and Michael. So basically she would speak and it was like their voice would come out sometimes and like at one point you're just not too sure like who you're even talking to. And and I also started communicating with them as well. Like yeah I would hear voices and like I would like try and listen to that and it was like the whole intention was to connect with them because I was like I was um like thought it was truth at the time. And then her friend comes out from Peru, which she studied for 10 years, and knows her as Jessica and, like, really didn't like how much she's changed and, like, really got a bad feeling from it. Um, and she lets me know that. She's like, Brooke, like, I don't think these entities are right. Like, I, I get a really bad feeling from it. I asked the medicine. The medicine is telling me that these have, like, they have negative intentions. Like, be careful. Like, I, like what you're doing like please don't get too wrapped into this and I was just like just like okay like still unsure what to what to what to think and so that night I'm just like I want to like sit with I want to sit with the medicine and we do and I 
it's time for our intentions, but I only like whisper my intention to the plant. And I intend, I, I want to know what these entities are, is what I say. Um, and like, what is, what is the reality of, of these beliefs? Like what is behind these beliefs? Am I wearing a veil? That's what I asked. And as my experience like begins, these like sharp thorns like invade like my entire body and it's almost like something's like trying to crawl out of me and like in me but like it's so sharp and and then like Anna gets up and starts singing and her like whole face just like turns into a demon and like so does her dog and I just like we're in the middle of like nowhere like down a logging road for like two hours in the mountains like like it's just like us and then a few other people and then like the other shaman. So I just like, I'm on ayahuasca, like feeling this excruciating, this like high pitched, like screaming sound in my ears and just like everything is wrong. Like it's exactly what like the veil's off. Like it's exactly what like, like the other shaman said. So I like run upstairs, like um, see the other shaman and I'm just like, oh my God, like it's happening. Like you're, you're right. She's like, get in the shower. And she like, like bathes me and like, washes me with like my pacho and like yeah like she's like you it's like you can't be on the medicine right now like it's too like it, that's too intense like you're too exposed <laughs> and as soon as she was saying and I was just like so excruciatingly like scared and then she just like locked us in a room and just like petted me until like the morning and like didn't allow Anna to come in and I was just like shaking all night um I could hardly sleep um and then the next day I try and leave and my car wouldn't start <laughs> it was dead so we had to like power that and like I just wanted to like leave um like I saw some other people and I was like you need to stop what you're doing that this is like she's like the intention behind this is not pure like please um do not take the medicine any further and then I just like left and like went home and at this point like I was in I was in, in my hometown I was just like in in Kelowna and I had some friends there but I was like also so like I was so wrapped into this and telling everybody how excited I was that I found God and that I was like embarrassed almost to tell anybody like what actually happened and so there was like that that was kind of um in the way of me actually truly getting support and like also people not believing and then it was just like this intense like alone feeling and and uh, I get a call two days later, and my grandfather died. So it's just, like, all of this at once. But it was perfect because, like, home is exactly where I need to be, you know? So I, like, fly home the next day, which is perfect. My mom sits me down and is like, honey, like... So I've been telling my mom about this. I'm like, mom, like, yeah, I, like, have a personal connection with God. It's so awesome. And then, like, now I'm going home and being like, no. It's totally not what I was saying. <laughs> and but before I even say that to her, she's like, honey, I had a dream about you last. I had a dream last night. It was really interesting. I was like, okay, like, what is it? And she's like, um, I had a dream that this girl had, this girl that was blonde, and Anna's blonde, had a phone in her hand. And she um, was, was claiming like that it was grandpa on the phone. And she um, was saying, um, yeah, she was saying like, she was telling me all this th these things that like grandpa was saying and like transmuting it and all of a sudden the, the phone spoke and it was like ask her what your birthday is and so my mom asked her and then the girl like was like turned into a demon and was like you don't ask me those kind of questions um and then my mom just like stands up she's like you have no power here and then the girl just like disappears and so like that was really really powerful for me because I'm like okay it's <laughs> like this ties into um what I experienced and just knowing that like that like intense love is there to kind of protect me through that but yeah like I I remember hopping into a flow tank after that experience like being so scared of being alone but being like I know I need to sit with myself right now and just observing my thoughts and like dissecting each of them and being like is this my thought or is this like somebody else's? And then like whatever was somebody else's thought, just like discarding it like one by one and like really like 
reconnecting with my body. Like, what is my body saying right now? Okay, like, this is what I follow. If not, then, like, let it go and let it go. And just, like, it taught me so much about how to reprogram the brain and how powerful beliefs are. And, like, at that point, like, beliefs were just intertwined into everything I saw, right? It was, like, oh, this is physical, Michael, or whatever, you know? Like, it was just ingrained in that. So it was, like, really, like, tearing everything apart and reconstructing from, like, ground zero. And then, like, I remember feeling this, like, intense hole in my stomach and then like the more and more I would like affirm my own thinking and affirm like my own like body sensations and um my own conscious movements like the more this like fire would like ignite um and the more I listened to like that compass that's like internal so it was really cool to be even before this experience to be so lost and to not even know where who I am and then like feel like I know exactly like who I am because I just like feel it through and through because I have no choice and then also it's like it was also a, a learning of like fear so it's like I felt like regardless if I believe that there's demons or if like I believe in any of that like how much fear holds weight like as soon as I felt scared I was almost giving whatever it was like my power you know, or even giving the beliefs my power. Um, so it was like also just like finding empowerment within that to be like, okay, there's no need for me to be fearful right now. You know, like I hold, I hold the keys to my own mind. I hold the keys to my own thoughts. Um, what I choose to think is what is real. And so there's like nothing to be scared of. So it's pretty powerful. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bill. No, some of you in here. Um, the story I'm going to tell tonight is one of my probably. I, I have a lot of uh, psychological experience, particularly. Uh, with LSD over the years, and uh, I have a lot of lot of stories, but uh, there's there's one that's a, that it's it's one of my favorites because it's an entertaining one, but there's a, definitely a spiritual aspect to it, and I think in particular because it shows how even in the most uh, you know quote unquote profane situations or the most like you know un unspiritual settings, we can still have very profound spiritual experiences. Um, this it's. This was back in Toronto uh, many years ago. I lived on the streets in Toronto, and one of the ways of coping with living on the streets was uh, that once uh, at, the, I'd, at the end of the month, I'd get a hotel for about three days or maybe a week or something, and just sort of live like a normal human being. And then that was part of the part of the psychological way of surviving it. And and I would and uh, one one time in, in particular, I'd, I'd run into some friends, and uh, they had some. I think they had come back from a dead tour, and they had some really good acid and. It had been a while, and so I got a I got a hotel room, and I grabbed I got some acid from him, and I thought, oh, it'll, it'll be really nice. And um, I hadn't done it in a long time, and when when I was younger, and I would do acid, I tend to do a lot at a time. I would do multiple hits, and they they uh, this was very obviously very strong acid they had, and I just didn't really think about it. So I got I got a hotel room in a in a hotel. It's a hotel called the Gladstone in Toronto. It's a really rundown sort of hotel with a country and western bar downstairs and uh and uh, and obvious pro like some of the tenants were obvious addicts and things like that so so it was a real so and i so i got the room there and and i dropped a bunch of really powerful acid without thinking about how much i was taking so so set and setting were really not thought out at all in this so what what began happening and and uh Part of this I didn't realize was what was going on. It's I can just sort of look back and realize what was happening. But what, what clearly was going on is as I was starting to get get high, I was as it was starting to come on, I was uh, I was saying everything I was thinking out loud. My 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 subvocal thought had just tuned into into it just it'd been hooked to my mouth, and I was saying everything out loud. And at the time, I didn't realize it. But of course, now looking back on, it, I realized like I was on I was on the fourth floor, 
and I look out the window on the fourth floor, and everyone down the street looks up at me, and it didn't seem odd to me that they would look up, look up at me, but of course they look up at me because I'm yelling out the window, and I, I have no idea what, what, what I was saying, but, uh, but whatever I was thinking. And I remember I thought I was in a giant computer, and I remember saying something about, oh, I need a mouse. And, uh, and, and this girl comes from next the room next door and she's like, I'm a mouse, I'm a mouse. And, and she wanted to, and she's like totally getting my vibe and she, and she wanted to like sort of play. And the thing was, turns out she's the girlfriend of the guy who's running the hotel. So he comes up and sees what's going on and freaks out and he goes down and he gets the bouncer from the country and Western bar downstairs. And while this was going on, I, uh, I went through a real experience, and I think what had happened was um, because I was, because I, because I was, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, like, I guess I have no, no constraints on my thought process or whatever, and everything was coming out, I think what I did unintentionally was reverse my Kundalini. And because what happened is suddenly I found myself up about three or four feet above my head. Um, my consciousness was occupying that space. Um, Everything was was color and and sort of emotional tone um, and went, and and I was up there and I was kind of like I was like even though you know I was I was clearly up in that space about a foot or so above my head I, there was still a forward like like things I was still looking forward but uh, but when they came into the room they they came in and there was two or three of them and they were and they had uh, they they were conscious up there too but they weren't sort of aware of it and when they came in they or they didn't strike me as being aware of it and when they came in they spoke to me and I heard like way down there I heard this like sort of low like I couldn't really understand the words but but the the color and the emotional tone that I felt was very clear and so we exchanged like they came in they said something to me I felt and 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 saw the color of it and I sort of just felt and thought a color back and I heard my mouth way down there going like speaking words I had no idea what I was saying but I could I could hear it down hear the mumbling down there and I realized like words were being exchanged and then they said something back to me and basically they were confronting me like I don't I don't know what was said but I know they were basically like I was kind of cornered and they were confronting me and I sort of had the choice it's like okay I can be polite and submit and sort of walk out of this but I was tired, and it's like, no, I'm not going to submit. I'm not, I'm not. So I don't know what I said back to them, but I, I clearly they confronted me, and I challenged them back. And uh, and again, I can only extrapolate this is what happened afterwards. But I guess what happened is the the bouncer, who's a pretty big guy, um, grabbed me by the shoulders and kicked me full in the groin to try to to because like, this was his way of dealing with it. And all I did, I was talking to him when he did it because I could hear my my voice mumbling, and I just landed in my head and just kept talking to him and I didn't even flinch and this guy like like I like cartoon his eyes bugged out his jaw dropped took a step back and then he's like get him out of here like he was like I just terrified him and and I was like I was like oh, oh are we gonna you know and they're, they're like taking me out and I'm like oh so where are we going and they're, they're like oh god yeah and, and they get me out and they they dump me on the street in front of the hotel with some of my stuff and I'm standing there and it's sort of like coming in waves like like with this psychological experience how you sort of and it's occurring to me what happened and I'm getting and I'm just so I'm going through through I'm going back and forth from being really calm to like just freaking out and rage realizing what had gone on and I remember I was standing there raging and a cop car drives by and I remember the look of fear in the cop's face when he looked up and saw me like raging and they didn't come they they kept going they didn't come back and I think I think they were just like okay we get called or whatever but uh but they, they didn't. They didn't come back. So I went. So I sort of meandered off a bit, and I crossed the road. And I remember, like, this was one of the most like, like it's not really a good thing, probably. But um, I cursed that building like with the whole of my being. I remember turning around and pointing, and the, there was a full moon. It was up in the sky, and there was an arc from my finger to the full moon to the building. I don't know what what I said or whatever, but I just remember like just turn around and curse that freaking building. And uh, and then I went off on my, I meandered off into the night, which um, which I have a fair amount of experience doing on psychedelics. So it wasn't otherwise pretty out of my mind. But uh, but I managed to you know wander through downtown Toronto safely, have have a few adventures, and uh, I ended up out in Scarborough in the morning. Which I'd probably walked all the way across Toronto. I, I walk a lot anyways, and I uh, I can remember walking along and. 
seeing like way down this road there was a bench and it's like oh, I'm so tired and I saw this bench it's like yeah I'm going to walk down to that bench and I'm going to sit down it's going to feel so good and I, and I walked and walked and walked and got to the bench and I sat down and as soon as I sat down a bird shit on me <laughs> right away and I, was like, and I was like yep I was meant to be here yep this is the place and, and then and then and then sort of the and then then it's just kind of flashes from that and I guess what I then the next thing I remember I'm out back of a max and I was really dehydrated and I guess they cleaned out the ice thing from the machine and it was on the ground and I was like I remember like licking like on my hands and knees licking this ice because I was like so dehydrated it was a hot day, hot day and then I walked down to the lakefront and in Scarborough they have something called the Scarborough Bluffs and it's these huge huge bluffs that are like 100 feet high or, and and the like I walked to the top of them and I remember like looking down and going oh yeah I want to go venture down I started to walk down and the, the thing is they're dirt and then they're clay and so I walked down about five feet and then, and then like started to slide and I did a one foot slide all the way down this bluff couldn't have, couldn't have done it if I tried if I'd done it consciously but one foot all the way down and landed landed in this fresh piece of big amount of clay that had fallen off landed like looking back up and here's this beautiful bluff, and there's a scar all the way down, down, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was me. And uh, and then and that's and then on and then so I'm sitting on the beach, and it's the like, it's it's like the, the sun hasn't come onto the beach there, and I I got it in my head somehow that I'm a vampire, and I'm waiting for the sun. like I'm just like I'm trapped on this beach. I I like basically fell down this cliff. I can't get back up. There's there's a uh, there's you know th- there's nothing either either way that I can go and so I'm just sitting waiting for the sun to come up and burn me off the face of the earth and I'm just like yeah I'm, I'm screwed there's nothing I can do and uh, and I remember and it's funny because I had forgotten all about this I was telling my friend this story the other day and I had forgotten all about this guy but uh, this this old guy and his dog came walking along and I remember like I remember like really having that that thing of like 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 oh like feeling like God was dropping by and just going, so how's it going? You know, what's going on? Come by with his dog, you know, and, and seeing, and the, and then, and we talked for a bit and I can't even, I can't remember the conversation now. It's fine. I'm going to have to think about it some more because I, I totally forgot him about him being there. But, uh, the, and then, and then after that, and then he went and then the sun, the sun rose and I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't burn, o- burn away. And, and so I you know, realized, I guess, oh, I guess I wasn't, or, or maybe that was God and he just came and, you know, Unvampired me, or you know, for, you know, could have been. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Try to be open. Try, try to keep the possibilities open. I guess. But uh, but after that, I just basically went and uh, found my way into some construction site where they were building a building and wrapped myself up in insulation and slept for like two days. I was exhausted. Kept kept. I could hear the security guard going by, and I was wondering because my feet were sticking out of this roll of insulation, and I was like, I was waiting for you know someone to get called, right? Because I don't know if he ever saw me or if he just like, oh, okay, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I just, I just, you know, and then after a couple of days, I, you know, kind of got myself back together and I went back to the hotel to try to get some of my stuff and that guy would not look me in the eye. Like he, like, like I, like it's sort of a, like he was probably a dick, like to, to be honest, but I feel bad. Like it, it, it's, it was quite an experience, but I realized I put fear into him. Like I, like I made him afraid of me. I didn't like, I didn't make him, you know, he wasn't like, wow, that was a really incredible spiritual thing you had or whatever. Like I put fear into him. And, uh, and I mean, he did, he brought it on himself by choosing to, choosing to assault me, you know, if he'd done something else and it might not have been so terrifying in that. But I remember like, like I remember when I like feeling, you know, feeling a little big, big about it after like, oh, you know, kind of thing. But the time I really thought about it and I thought, yeah, it's kind of, it's sad in a way because, because I really did. Like I put, it put fear into him. It didn't, it didn't, you know, I don't think it, like maybe, maybe he reflected on it and he changed as a person as a result of it or something. I don't know. So maybe something, something that way. But I find I, it's, it's, I, I like, you know, that's, that's, that's one of my favorite stories or one of my favorite experiences. Cause I think it's, it really does show like even in the most unexpected situations and not necessarily the best setting or whatever, profound spiritual things can, can still occur. And, you know, again, like it, like to me now looking back on it, I clearly occupied my crown chakra and when I look at the, the ideas of, with Kundalini and that when you meditate, the, the idea is to, to reverse your, the flow of your Kundalini so it's going upwards. And I think, again, I think I just spontaneously did that one time on LSD. And now, like, I, ha- I now have the, I have the memory of that consciousness. And, and it's something I was, you know, I want to try to meditate and get back to sometime or try again. But, it, but for me, there's no doubt of it being there. There's no real, you know, it's not, it's not a question anymore. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's... that's Basically, the 
basically the whole tale. <laughs> I used to take out a lot of canoe trips. I used to guide wilderness trips. And after many years of doing that, I decided, well, I went with some friends out into Algonquin Park, which is Ontario. It's a big park. It's got over 300 lakes in it. It's beautiful. I know the pet park like the back of my hand. It feels like home. Um, so it was like four buddies. We all had, we had two canoes. We set out on a canoe trip and we had some LSD with us. <laughs> so we come with... The way it works is you have an access point lake. We go onto the access point lake. We paddle through the lake. We get to our first end of the lake. We're going to do our first portage. So before the portage, we all take LSD. And we're going to go into portage through. It was actually a kilometer portage. You're going to carry your canoe for one kilometer, which is about 0.6 of a mile for the Americans out there. Um, and when you get to the other side, it was a lake called Butt Lake, and it was, we used to say, it was so beautiful you could smoke a butt. Um, that's the guys who liked and enjoyed smoking butts, which I didn't. But it was a beautiful lake with all this beautiful greenery. Um, and so we, we did the doses, we got all our packs ready, unpacked the canoes, everyone got their stuff. I put a canoe on my back. Uh, and I'm very good at portaging, or I used to be. And I start walking, and I, my motto when I portage a canoe is to never put down the canoe until I get to the other side, even if I have to slow down. So I start going, and everything's normal. We've got a good pace. I've left everyone behind. About two, three hundred meters into the portage, things start getting really beautiful. Like the forest picked up. It's greenery like no one's business. It got greener and greener, and it seemed like the trees were spreading out, so there was all this room, and I could, I, each tree had an individual kind of feel to it. And I just kept on walking, but I was like, I think I was walking really slowly at this point, <laughs> like just looking around, and I eventually I had to say, I, yeah, no, I gotta put down this canoe. So I, I put down the canoe, and I'm starting looking around, and I kind of didn't want to go anywhere. I kind of wanted to just explore the forest off the trail. Um, luckily, I have a bit of meta awareness that sticks with me on most trips, and it was like, okay, you can't just wander into the forest and leave your canoe on the trail. Um, so after a little bit of appreciation of the green forest, I got back to the canoe. I put the canoe back on. I jammed the canoe between two trees, so it wasn't hard to put back on. Put back on, and I keep on going to the end of the trail and it took me a long time actually I think I might have stopped a couple more times to appreciate you know the, the shrubs and the trees and the leaves on the ground um, and I get to the end of the portage trail and there's the lake the lake that I've always thought was beautiful but it's totally different it is magnificent and the water is glistening and I'm in awe, and basically I have to put down the canoe and just pay homage to the lake. It was a deep connection to nature and just appreciating it there and had to walk right into the lake and kind of baptize myself. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, I mean, there's, a pro yeah, there's quite a lot more that happened on that day, and I had to wait, but... The essence of my story is, is really uh, the incredible appreciation I had for nature and the way it impacted me in such a deep way. And a lake that I've journeyed through many times seemed completely different, but otherworldly. Um, so it was a wonderful experience. My name is Robert. I'm currently working on a kind of a philosophy of life thing of how I want to actually live my life, be intentional and figure out who I am and what kind of beliefs I have and all of that. And I use the LSD to 
kind of experience different ways that we can experience things and can understand and have experiences that open up what we can actually do with our, our brains and our experience and all of that. So one time um, I like to walk around the waterfront from between Ross Bay and uh, Ogden Point because it's kind of beautiful around here. And so I go down there one time and usually I'm listening to music all the time, just this really, really slowed down music that is really at, at the same time soothing and invigorating and at this point I didn't have that music with me so I'm at the beach and for whatever reason my mind just goes to well I'm living now what happens after so I'm ruminating on, on death and like the end of conscious experience and everything and I'm lying on the beach and over time it starts feeling like it's like time is just compounding as it's feeling recursive that whatever time that I've felt in the space of a breath has gone into like seasons or years or eventually it feels like my body has just decayed into the beach and there's just nothing left of myself and so I go into this for a little while and I start coming out of it and somehow my perspective has completely shifted my headspace has gone into a world where meaning does not exist that it's an incoherent concept not just that it isn't something that I can personally find that it it's a universe that none of it exists so I'm in this headspace for a little while, um, start walking back towards home, and I'm in this for hours and hours, and of course, on LSD, that feels like a really long time. Um, eventually, I get home, and I'm actually worried at this point that this is going to be my experience of, of the world, because I've, I'd never had a bad experience on LSD before. But I couldn't figure out how to wrap my head around the idea that if this is actually the way that I'm experiencing things, is this actually a true concept? Is this something that I'm going to have to live my life based on? So I go home and I can't actually figure it out. I'm trying to work through the problem in my head, doing a very rationalist, deductive kind of side of things. And... It's sort of working, but I'm not really getting to where I'm trying to get to in all of this. And so I feel like I really need to relax and get back into my music. So I smoke a little bit of marijuana, lie on the bed, put the headphones in, and whatever happened at, between that point and waking up completely shifted the headspace all the way around. And... It, at the same time as it felt like it was a ridiculously long time again, I know that it was probably like five or six minutes, maybe eight at the most. So at that point, um, I, I also do meditation on it on occasion, and it, I kind of got into that headspace again, um, where it's just letting things go through me as opposed to like really, really getting into the idea of things, just letting them go through. And I felt like the, the, the stretching of time again to the point where whatever one train of thought would be or whatever one breath would be, it just collapsed the entire space and time, all of that together. It took, you know... At this point, it, it didn't even feel like years anymore. It felt like eons. And so that was really interesting. But the point was that I'd gotten to this, this headspace where my normal experience of things just didn't exist anymore. So 
almost in the meditative state, there was nothing that I was experiencing. I didn't hear the music. I didn't feel my body. I didn't, you know, feel my own consciousness at that point. There was just nothingness, and it seemed to kind of mirror what I had been internalizing before. But after a little while, I started seeing these little almost tracers, like uh, like little squiggly lines, almost like neurons firing. And then as those started going, they started a chain reaction going off. And then at one point I remembered, okay, I can, I can move a finger. That's actually, there, there's a tie between my experience and something else, something external to my actual experience of things. So I go through the, I go, I try to explore that and eventually I can move multiple fingers separate from each other. And then I remember that I was breathing. I remember like I come back into that experience and from beforehand, one breath being, you know, a year or whatever, felt like that was something that I had come back to and then that entire time has been encapsulated in that last breath. And so I come into that, re-awareness of that I was breathing and then with my eyes still closed I could feel like I remembered that vision was a thing and that I could move my eyes behind my eyelids without even seeing the world outside me but not just that there was vision but that there was a, a, a self that was experiencing things the eye behind the eye I suppose and after all of that started coming together, I felt my body as a, like, as a physical thing that everything had come back to being connected, and that emptiness that I had felt at the beginning of it had been completely replaced with this um, overwhelming, like, it, it wasn't the usual awe that I, that I uh, would experience uh, at, like, a landscape or you know, being at the waterfront or something like that. That was this was more of a um, an intense realization of of self and of identity and connection and elation that all of these things were actually tied together, and whatever it was that I was feeling, that was actually connected to not just my my brain space, but like the rest of the physical world around me. So whatever I had been trying to work through in this really deductive, rationalist kind of sense had finally actually been internalized that meaning existed again, that I was coming back into a world that whatever an experience was, that that mattered. And bringing all that together, I mean, it was just amazing. So... Uh, I think that's about it. <laughs> this is from before I kind of got around to Groff, and now my, my stories aren't quite as interesting, but, um, but there was a time where, where they really, really got away from me and, and made for, for decent stories. Um, this is one of those, it was, it was on Halloween, which was like, which I learned after a few Halloweens was always a bit, a, one, one like sure way to start like a, a multifaceted trip. Um, so yeah, it was Halloween and uh, I was just getting ready. I was like getting together my costume and I was putting together this costume because for a couple years um, my girlfriend had had ideas to do these these couples costumes and you know I would have like planned my costume all like ahead of time and then it would be just a couple days before Halloween she's like oh let's do this I'm like oh I've already got my costume together you know I see that you're you know you want to be you know Mia Wallace from Pulp Fiction but you know I've already got this Happy Gilmore costume so you know it, it just didn't work and the, but, but we went for it and then, uh, then the, the year after that she wanted to be to be um, Wayne from Wayne's World, 
And she's like, you can be Garth. And I was like, I've already got this Hobbit costume put together. So we went out as like Wayne and, and a Hobbit. And so this, this year I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do We're going to do this couple's costume for sure. And she's like, okay, I want... She didn't tell me what she was going to be, but she said, I want you to be, be, be a fisherman. And I was like, okay, yeah, like, that's cool. Like, I, can, I can pull that together. So I was like around my house gathering up items. You know, I found some gumboots and like this oil skin coat and like a plaid shirt and it was coming together. I found this weird kind of like half straw hat, half cowboy hat that was really like cartoonish. And then, um, and then I was like, oh, I need, I need some kind of a prop. And I remember that I had this, this telescoping fishing rod that was, you know, it was just like, it would shorten to about that long. And I put like a, a bobber on, like a little red and white bobber on the end of it. And yeah, it was like the caricature of a fisherman. It was like this very cartoonish thing. I was really happy with it. I got this phone call from my bed, from my buddy Sean, and we're planning on going to this party. It's all it's all set, and they're his friends who I kind of know a little bit. But he calls me up to tell me, "Hey, you know, um, you, are y'all ready for this party?" I was like, "Yeah, I'm ready to go." And he's like, "He's like, good, because they just changed it to um, to a nautical theme." I was like, "Oh, perfect, you know, I've got this fisherman costume. This is working out nicely." And he's like, yeah. "He's like, yeah, yeah." He's like, "I got some stuff to do, but..." They need, there's one thing the guys need, they need some, some seaweed. Would you be able to go down and grab, like, some seaweed on your way to the party? And I was like, yeah, sure, you know, try to, try to contribute a bit. So, so I, I went down to the ocean, filled a bunch up, like, filled up, like, this big bucket, and, like, came back to my, came back to my house, and, and, uh, my girlfriend Kira, she was in the, she was in the bathroom, like, getting her costume together, and I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go bring the seaweed over. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'll meet you there later. She's like, can you leave some of that seaweed here? And I was like, yeah, okay, sure, sure. And I just left, left a bunch in like a bowl in the kitchen and, and took off. And I show up at the party. Um, I'm, the, I'm the first person there other than the people that live in the house. It's still, you know, like maybe like seven or something. And it's not dark yet. Um, and they've got these tables set up with you know, these objects on them, and there's this kiddie pool, and they're like, oh, you made it, oh, you brought the seaweed, they're like, throw it, throw it in the pool, it's for the trials, and they're doing all this in a pirate accent, because everyone that lives in the house is dressed up as pirates, like, ah, you know, throw it, throw it in the bin, (coughs) (coughs) I haven't practiced my pirate accent for a while, but, so I was like, okay, cool, and then I see that they've got, you know, these trials set up for anyone who comes to the party. I just sort of pour it in there. There's all this water in there already. It's just like this little kiddie pool like that. Now it's all full of this slimy seaweed. And I go up there, up to the to the deck. It's like the back deck of the house. It looks just like the deck of a boat. You know, there's like the banister and the railings. And and, uh, and they're all sitting up there and like, Ah, oh, you're right on time. And like, we're just about to drop anchor. And, they, um, and he hands me, hands me this little piece of paper with like a little blue anchor on it. <laughs> so we all, we all follow suit. And, um, and yeah, and then things kind of get a little awkward because I don't know these people and I'm like, okay, okay. So I kind of like sit aside on the, on the little deck outside the house and, you know, roll a fat joint right off the bat, which is like a bad idea I've learned. And um, it just really, you know, it really kicks things into gear. So things start rolling right away and people start showing up. And, um, and, uh, the, 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 the head captain, or the captain of the pirates, he's like, okay, he's like, everyone must complete the trials, you know, he's like, come over here. So the first couple people that come in, he brings them to this table, and he makes them take off, like, un- untie their shoes, take them off, take off their socks, roll up their pants, and step into this kiddie pool, whereupon they then have to reach into these two kind of, like, shrouded containers one's a fishbowl and one's like this box that actually has like a clear glass on the back so that so that the pirates can watch what the person's hand is doing so they put one hand into the other and one one into one and one to the other and they're like fishing around because you know they've been told that there are like there there's treasure at the at the bottom of these and the wet one there are like you know slimy wriggly things in there and yet people you know persist and try to find the little the little ring that's in the bottom, the other one is like dry and sandy, but there are the other scaly, wriggling things in there. But you have to find both both treasures to, um, you know, while standing in the pool to enter the party. So, you know, so I'm like, wow, these people have really like they've really gone all out and like they've put a lot into this party. This is like impressive. And, and then I'm thinking, oh, like I haven't 
I didn't do the trials, but I'm already up here. Like, what? You know, am I am I part of the pirates? I'm like having this like minor identity crisis. It's starting starting to build, but um, so I occupy myself just by like with the flick of the wrist. I like send this fishing rod out, and it totally like telescopes out to being about eight feet long, and I've got the the bail that I could just sort of release, and so I drop this bobber down right in front of like the head of the person who's currently executing the trials. I think they were wearing like a like this cardboard shark costume with like kind of the nose coming off of here, and I I, I dropped it down like right in front of their forehead, and like. First it was just in front of them, and then I brought it closer and closer, just thinking that, you know, it was not even really thinking they would notice, whatever. But but they didn't notice at all. They were so intent on this task that I was actually able to, like, hit them with this bobber, like, in the forehead. And they weren't even noticing at all. And I've got these pirates cracking up beside me, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is my part here. You know, I'm just going to play the fisherman and, you know, keep, keep you know, bobbing, jigging away at these people. So people keep coming in, and uh, there's some pretty good costumes. There was this one, there was like, there was an, a clownfish, but it was, it was just a clown who like clearly got the same message as I did really late, and they just drew some gills onto their, onto their <laughs> neck. That was pretty clever. Um, and then, uh, so I was really enjoying watching, watching these people come in, but, you know, the effects are starting to take hold, and I feel like I'm leaning over this deck and fishing, and I feel almost like this... This boat is swaying a little bit, right? And then, like, man, I can, I swear I can hear, you know, I can hear the, I can hear the ocean, like, I can hear the creaking of rigging and everything, and, um, I, I hear, like, a seagull shriek over top, and I'm like, wow, like, this stuff is really, really kicking in, and then I hear this, like, high-pitched shriek, like, this scream that's coming from from my friends, like, the guy who's running the party, he's got this, this little keyboard that has all these screams programmed into it that is running on top of this ship track that he's got, like, piped through the speakers. <laughs> so, so I'm like, oh, okay, okay, this is, you know, ground myself a little bit. But now I'm back in the idea that, like, this is such, uh, like, there was such effort put into this party, you know, I really need to start giving back and, like, getting something, like, what is my duty as the pirate? Am I supposed to actually be catching the right fish to bring in? So now I'm, like, now I'm beset with this, this responsibility that is, like, building up in my head. And then, um, you know, different people are coming in, and I, I'm trying to catch them now. And I'm, like, you know, sending this ball, like, trying to make it really obvious, and no one can see this thing, like, at all. It's, like, no one can feel it, nothing. And then, um... And then I hear some, like, rustling. There's, like, this uh, ivy arch that everyone was entering through. So it was a real entrance, just, like, a hedge, and then a person would pop up. And I see someone, like, duck through and come out with these big, like, majestic, like, wings. Like, huge, like, like five-foot wings. And, and it's, it's my friend, my friend Sean, who, who invited me to the party. And I was like, oh, good, you know, like, a friend who, you know, who I know really well. He's here. I can, I can kind of connect with him. And I'm like, oh. What is he dressed? What is that? Like, is he a, a dove or like a fallen angel or something? I was like, is he a, a bald eagle? Because he's pretty short on hair and uh, he's kind of sensitive about it. So I didn't think he was pulling that joke, but I was like, I don't know what he is, but like, I'm going to fucking catch him. I know he's in. I'm going to catch him, bring him in. This will be a good, a good move. So he, he takes off his shoes, you know, does, completes the trials. And then as he's, like, starting to mount the stairs, I kind of drop this bobber down underneath his wing and, like, just kind of snag him, right? And, like, kind of drag him as he's walking up the stairs. I kind of, like, pull him along, and he sees what I'm doing, laughs, and all the pirates laugh and everything. And then I see that, like, all over his wings, there's, like, blood. Like, they're all kind of ruffled and crumpled, and there's actually, like, blood smears all over it. And I was like, oh, is he... Oh, like... Seagull, I don't know. And I asked him. He's like, "Dead bird." I'm a dead bird. I'm like, "Okay." That like that strikes me. It's like feels really dark at the moment. And I've just hooked this dead bird. And then this this lobster guy who's dressed up behind me. He's got like this like striped shirt and like these little lobster things and like two of those lobster oven mitts, like lobster claw oven mitts. He's got. And he's like, he's like. That's an albatross! He's like, you just snagged an albatross! 
And I was like, oh. He's like, that's the worst omen any fisherman could ever have. He's like, that is like... He's like, I knew a guy once who was out on a fishing boat, and someone snagged an albatross, and they didn't cut the line. He brought it all the way into the boat, and uh, by the time they got it in, it was dead, and the boat stayed out. The boat, they, they went to move to the next spot, and the engine was dead. The, all the electronics on the boat were dead. They spent days out there trying to get this boat back in running condition, all because of this albatross. And it's well known that the albatross is like a terrible omen. So I'm like, oh, fuck, what have I done now? Like, oh, man, brought my, my friend who I thought was welcome here, but he's actually the omen, and I brought him up here, and it, it's, it's all, all really bad. And I'm, uh, I'm thinking about that. And then the, the pirate captain comes up. He's like, ah, you got any keepers? <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, no. And then for some reason, there's this little flash, and I remember Sean telling me once about how... They had this group of friends who were really into like, like, swinging and group sex and just having sex with each other all the time, and I, I kind of noticed that like the the pirate wenches have been kind of like showing like maybe more skin over the the course of the night, and I kind of look back and now everyone, all these pirates behind me are so like lurid and just. There's like they're all looking at me with this this look, and I don't know if it's about the albatross or if it's this this other thing that's just starting to get traction in my mind, and uh, and then and then uh, like then someone one of the pirates yells, "Oh yeah, catch another one, catch catch one for yourself," and that seals it. I'm like, "Oh man, okay, so I I've been like participating in like some sort of like." I've been, you know, bringing these people in. I'm like, I'm like selecting people for this orgy, and now I am. Uh, it's my turn to select my my own partner, and and so then then guests keep coming, and I'm I'm like, I'm not, I'm you know, moving the rod away from them, you know, like I don't want, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to give the wrong impression, and then um, this dog, this dog, this guy dressed up as a dog comes. He shows up. And he sees the bobber, and he's like, arr, arr, and he's like, starts going for it. And I'm like, oh no, no! And he's like, he keeps like going for this this bobber, and I'm like, ah no, I'm trying to like be playful about it. But he, he ends up being like, come on, man! Like he just wanted, just wanted to like get the ball, you know? And I, I wouldn't let him. And uh, and it was like, you know, this this beautiful mermaid came in, and I'm like, ah no, no, I can't. Yeah, just, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, the, there's rustling at the, at the bush again. And, like, this, like, like, this, like, sea green, like, monstery kind of scaly, like, really, like, just up from the depths of the ocean kind of creature, like, walks in and, like, kind of, like, skulking in and, you know, like, without any hesitation, kind of, like, takes off its, its shoes and, like, steps into the, into the into the seaweed, no problem, and just like digs into these things without even like you know no hesitation, you know, just grabbing grabbing the one treasure, grabbing the next one, getting it, and I'm just like watching. And the monster turns around and sees this bobber and just reaches out and grabs it with its mouth, and I'm like, oh, okay, and then I bring it like closer to the stairs and it starts coming up the stairs, and I look, and I look at the like monster's like long green hair and it's actual like seaweed that is like woven into this monster's hair and I look a little bit closer at their face and and I'm like so so relieved to see my girlfriend in this costume <laughs> and that I finally selected her from the ocean and like brought her up the stairs and into the party and we joined the party and everything. Yeah, I had a whole night after that. But, uh, <laughs> Thanks again for listening to Symposia on the Psychedelic Salon 2.0. Do us a favor. Go to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a rating or review. Tell your friends. That's how you can really help us out. Thanks to Matt Payne who engineered the sound, Joey Whip for the intro music, California Smile for the outro music, and Brian Norman, who produced the show. Yeah.